Right. Well, welcome to uh, Trinity Church. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, during this part of the service, we get a chance to open up uh, God's word and hear from him. We want to hear from Jesus as we seek to worship him um, in truth as he has revealed himself. And that there's a lot of ideas floating out there uh, these days, a lot of thoughts about Jesus in this world, but we've come to the only source with all authority, the Bible, that uh, Paul describes as literally breathed out by God. And guess what? From, from you know, front cover to back cover, it's all about Jesus. Not, not in some like corny way that you're finding Jesus behind every bush and everything allegorically refers to him, but we've seen uh, as we've worked our way through the uh, beginning here of the Gospel of Matthew, that it's all, the Old Testament is all pointing toward Jesus. Uh, Jesus has come to fulfill the Old Testament law. He's not come to chuck it, not replace it, but fulfill it. We're starting to get the idea as we've worked our way through this uh, Gospel uh, that the kingdom has arrived here in the uh, ministry of Jesus. Jesus is undoing the curse as he heals a leper, um, the servant of the centurion, Peter's mother-in-law, and many who are oppressed with the demon possession. Uh, Jesus is this messianic healer envisioned by the prophet Isaiah. And, and uh, if you remember from last week, following this Jesus is not easy. You know, last week we learned that uh, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And that the one who you know, wants to first go bury his father must, quote, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Jesus isn't playing a second fiddle. He's not cool with waiting until one has his or her own life, everything all figured out. Hedged uh, your bets so that following Jesus isn't as costly as risky. He's calling people to a, a type of discipleship where you need to think about. Uh, you, you need to take inventory, give strong consideration to the cost before uh, signing up. And, and the disciples are on this journey. They're at the beginning. Uh, they're a long ways to go. So we're going to pick it up in Matthew 8 uh, verse 23 today. If you didn't get a listening guide, you can lift your hand. Alex will get you one from the back as a place to take notes. I got the points if you missed them. Matthew chapter 8, starting with verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Pray with me. Father, we pray that through hearing from you, through reading your word, through studying it, through understanding it, that uh, you would work 
uh, something uh, supernatural in us. <laughs> Certainly not because of me, but that your word uh, would speak to us. It would change us and uh, make me uh, a faithful messenger uh, of that word and prepare our hearts to hear from you, especially if uh, they are hard words uh, to make us uh, soft people uh, to you. We praise all in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Have you ever realized our very limited control of the weather? You, we'd like to control it, but we're faced with m many lesser options. Uh, and that's what we have to pursue. What, what, what can we do concerning the weather? Well, we can predict it. You know, the weathermen, we'll give them accuracies, might be questionable there. But the general principle is, you know, it seems reasonable, you know. And what do we do based on those predictions? If you're like me, you do nothing. And you're like, oh, it's raining. I should have known about that. Well, if I would have probably checked the weather app, I probably would have known there was a, a chance of rain. You know, percentage-wise, whether they got it right or not, I, I'm not really sure. But it, it's general principle, you know, try to plan, you know, if I'm going to do a round of golf, want to plan it when it's not a 90% chance uh, of rain. Or more important actions with the predicting the weather, uh, things like evacuations uh, for a coming hurricane. But, but what else can we do concerning the weather? Well, we can insulate ourselves from the weather. That, I mean, that's why we're in a building right now. Little AC, sun's not beating down on us. Might sound like a great idea to always do an outdoor service out there in like fall when it's like 70 degrees out and beautiful. But, you know, if it's a pouring out there or... December hits and it's 10 degrees. I don't know how many people want to see us all like bundled up and, you know, Dalen like warming his hands with a hand warmer before uh, pulling him out of the gloves to, you know, play guitar or something like uh, that. Uh, any other options? Well, we can just deal with it. My favorite sport, football, is officially back. And if you don't have an indoor stadium, you have outdoor stadium, if the weather's bad, you basically just got to deal with it. So, so what do they do? I mean, they, you know, if it's raining, it's snow, uh, the wind is really gusting, you got options like picking different uh, cleats, uh, changing your uh, game plan uh, to adjust for it. You know, if it's really cold, you see them all like gathered against the heaters before they go uh, back onto the field. They may, may uh, wear uh, an extra uh, layer or something like like that. So, so we were at the beach a, a couple of weeks ago, and, and on the first day, I noticed Mercy was doing something kind of weird, which isn't all that weird for Mercy. But um, she wasn't just talking to the waves, which also, you know, that, that's fairly, fairly par for the course for Mercy. But um, she was telling the waves to stop. And she was really upset when they didn't. Because she obviously didn't want them hitting her sandcastle. And she kept telling the waves off. But guess what? Did the waves listen to her? Nope, nope. And she could threaten them to not be their best friend anymore. But it wasn't doing any good. 
And, um, and that, that's our experience with weather. I mean, we, we can, you can say as much as you want to say about it, but it, does mercy control the waves? Could, could I, as the father, she looks up, like, is there anything I could do? Well, I could, you know, tell her to build the sandcastle a little farther back and, you know, ma- make a little moat around it to help out. But is there anything I could do to stop the waves? No. No, we, we can't control the weather. Even with our great advances in technology, 21st century, here, we can't stop a hurricane, snowstorm, volcano, tsunami. We can't do anything uh, of that nature. But, but here in this passage that we've just read, we see something radically different than our experience with weather as Jesus speaks and the storm uh, just stops. And there's a reason Matthew's included uh, this story. So let's dig in to discover it and the truth that Matthew wants us to see uh, through this narrative. Uh, To to start off uh, with a little context and structure uh, to this passage, remember from last week in uh, verse uh, 18 that uh, Jesus declared, uh, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. So he declared his intentions to go over to the other side of the sea. But before he takes that action, which he he does here in verse 23, uh, Matthew includes his interaction with a a scribe and another follower, potential follower, uh, concerning discipleship and the cost of following him. And, And then in this very short um, passage about Jesus calming the storm. Uh, Matthew uh, has a very detailed uh, structure. And I actually, well, let's pull it up here. It's a chiastic uh, structure. And it, it's, it's really neat when you look at it that Jesus gets on the boat, the disciples follow, a storm rages, Jesus sleeps, disciples address Jesus, Jesus addresses the disciples. Jesus rises and rebukes the storm. Then the storm calms. The disciples are awed. And then we'll see at the beginning of our uh, passage next week that uh, Jesus arrives at the other side. Uh, This is very beautiful storytelling. With the middle set there, the disciples addressing Jesus and Jesus addressing the disciples, uh, revealing the primary point of this narrative, faith. But, but faith is an abstract concept, if not connected to the rest of this story, where we see the concrete object and basis uh, for such trust. Matthew begins you know, by crafting the setting, but he does so uh, very carefully to reveal truth about Jesus. If Matthew's only purpose is, is to just reveal that Jesus has control over the, the waves the wind, he wouldn't need to include uh, as much setting as he does. Jesus just needs to somehow get beyond the boat with the storm raging. Bam, he calms it. We're, we're good. Well, let's go on. So what is this truth in, in these first couple verses that you know, Matthew so desperately doesn't uh, want us to miss? And it is this, that Jesus is the one in full control. Verse 23 again. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. 
And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. So, so you probably know I love to read the parallel accounts in a Matthew, of, of Matthew in Mark and Luke. Not, not to add details to Matthew, but uh, to help uh, hone in on what Matthew is emphasizing, what to sharpen my view of Matthew's thrust. And in Mark, we see here that the disciples take the lead uh, and they take Jesus with him. But but here in Matthew, we see that Jesus is the one taking the lead and the disciples follow. And that perfectly fits what we heard last week with Jesus' emphasis on discipleship, that Jesus leads and the disciples follow their leader. That's exactly it. Uh, so, and they're on this boat going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Archaeology, you know, has discovered remains of uh, a boat from this time period. Well, let's show a picture of it just to kind of give you an idea of uh, what it probably looks something like this. Could hold about 15 people. Perfect for Jesus's gang. You know, think about like eight feet longer than a, a suburban, a little bit wider. Um, and here a great storm arises. And, and this happens quite often on the Sea of Galilee, you know, where a storm could arise very suddenly with, you know, little to no advance warning. And, and this is no medium-sized, just passing storm. The boat is being engulfed by the waves. It is being buried by the waves. And remember that the crew on this boat is not some novice crew of Bible college students who have no clue what they're doing. They're like, you know, one's paddling one way, one the other. There's some pretty legit uh, people, at least for, um, you know, being on the, on the water here. Four of Jesus' disciples were professional fishermen. They had been in storms before. This was not their, their first time. They obviously had been in uh, probably f fairly large storms. Th this w wasn't just a little bit of water that, you know, one wave that, you know, somehow touched their feet and like they're, they're freaking out. No, this is a, a storm like they had never seen before. This has them fearing for their lives. And, and there appears to be something demonic going on in this storm with even Satan himself fighting against the one that just a, a few chapters earlier perfectly resisted his temptations. But what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. So let's, let's talk about sleep. Sleep can be viewed in different ways. Uh, it can be viewed positively. Let's take a show of hands. Anyone here a fan of sleep? Is it anyone I've got a lot of hands. And honestly, sleep sounds pretty attractive right now. If you're a parent, I'm sure it sounds very, very, very attractive. But just in general in life, most people, we like sleep. Maybe your only hope of getting through the sermon is some more of Alex's strong coffee back there. If so, please help yourself. There's, there's plenty back there. And when you're exhausted, it can be the exact medicine you need. And whether you like sleep or not, we all know that we need it. 
But, but it can be viewed negatively also. Some of you are thinking, that's not possible. You know, I, I'm still very positive view of sleep. I like it. But, but let me explain. It can be viewed as a hindrance to getting all the stuff done that you need to get done. It is also the time when you are most vulnerable. Think in war where, you know, army have a few people stay awake at night to protect, to guard while the others sleep. It's also when you're most vulnerable to thieves breaking in and stealing from you. And, and then there's the time of crisis. And, and although we know that everyone needs to sleep, and very few people can go multiple days staying awake 24 hours a day before they like crash and burn, but we would at least question the leader of a country or, or um, organization or something like that prioritizing sleep during the midst of a great crisis. So, so what in the world is going on here with Jesus sleeping in the boat? We may, may be tempted to think that Jesus doesn't care about this, the disciples, or maybe he, does he lack knowledge or foresight about what was coming? You know, but well, why would Matthew portray the hero of his gospel, Jesus, in such a negative light? Well, well that's not what's going on at all. Matthew is helping us see that Jesus is trusting in the protective power of his Father, his Heavenly Father. How do I know that? Well, let's look at the Old Testament view of the ability to sleep deeply in the midst of trouble. A few verses here. Leviticus 26. I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. Job 11, starting with verse 18. And you will feel secure because there is hope. You will look around and take your rest in security. You will lie down, and none will make you afraid. Psalm 3. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Proverbs 3, verse 23. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. You will, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. So, so the ability to sleep in times of trouble isn't a sign of weakness, but of knowledge of the one who is in full control. Though we have passages like Psalm 121, which says that God never sleeps, but is always vigilant, making a different point there. We, we have others which describe God as sleeping. And, and look at how God is described when his people come to him in their distress. Psalm 35, awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Psalm 44, verse 23, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Psalm 59, for behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see you, Lord God of hosts. 
our God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Isaiah 51. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? So, so God is seen as sleeping. And yes, God's people entreat him to decisive action, but it's not a snub on God that he is sleeping. It's a sign of his power. His sovereignty, his authority over all. And this appoints to Jesus' deity. He is 100% God as he takes the prerogatives which belong to God alone. Buttressing this idea is the ancient Near Eastern motif of a sleeping deity. We have numerous pieces um, in ancient literature around the time of Jesus here of a sleeping deities and that uh, point to the, uh, this asleep being a divine prerogative uh, and also a symbol of divine authority. And to disturb such sleep is seen as rebellion against the rule of these deities. Jesus sleeping uh, on the boat is not a sign of his weakness or included to primarily argue for him being full, uh, fully human, which he is. But, but this is included uh, to point to his divinity. He is fully God and in sovereign control. He possesses absolute authority, which is why he can sleep. And he sleeps deeply, evidenced by him not being woken up when this boat is about ready to sink, is being swamped by the waves. And look at the contrast between Jesus and his disciples in these verses. Matthew implicitly portrays them as exhausted. They're at wit's end. These are professional fishermen who have no clue what to do. Their last option, which they take, is to wake Jesus. They are fighting for survival, not knowing what to do. But then there's Jesus. What's he doing? He's sleeping. Despite the brevity of this voyage, usually it would only take an hour or two. But here we see that Jesus is in calm control. Matthew uses the word for earthquake to describe this storm. Now, all your major translations, they don't want to confuse you. And like, is an earthquake going on? No, no, no. It's not an actual earthquake. They uh, translated something like a great storm. They're not looking to confuse you. But uh, this idea of describing the storm as an earthquake, which, by the way, Mark uh, focuses on it as a great windstorm, which it also was that. But the idea of describing the storm as an earthquake is meant uh, to evoke eschatological images uh, to the reader's mind. Think N. End of the world images. Earthquakes in the Old Testament, other 
uh, ancient Near Eastern literature, are, are seen as indicating the end uh, times. We'll see later as we study the, the Gospel of Matthew, he strategically places them around the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus, highlighting these events and their importance. An earthquake of a storm is raging, and Jesus is the one who is sleeping, sleeping in sovereign control. He is in full and absolute control, even during this eschatologically significant event. The the end is hastening. And, And Matthew implies that on the last day, Jesus will be just as in control as he is on this boat, sleeping. Let me ask you this. Is that the type of Jesus you have come here to worship today? The Jesus who rules this world with his feet up? The Jesus who can sleep deeply knowing he is in full control of everything? Nothing can possibly escape his grasp. Nothing can depart from his plan. Jesus as the sleeping sovereign. Now, I I bet, if we were to be honest, though many of us might raise our hands and say, yeah, yeah, I'll agree with that. Sounds good to me. Like Jesus. I, I would bet often we don't view Jesus like this. We don't see him as possessing that much control over all things, though we may confess it on Sundays. How, how can I say that? Well, we worry. This, this goes back to a few weeks ago in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus had just uh, preached. Remember his call to trust uh, our Father in heaven who, who knows what we need and gives generously, providing for us, his children. And if you want to fight the temptation to worry, I need this type of view of Jesus. A Jesus wringing his hands, worrying about the storm, having an idea, a plan, might, might figure it out. That, that, that's not going to work. That's not going to cut it. But a Jesus sleeping in sovereign control, that's the type of Jesus I need to see, to trust him with the circumstances going on in my life and the circumstances going on in your life. We, we can try to, as we face situations that would cause us to work, we can try to you know, minimize those situations. And, and that might seem to work with minor issues that we tend to blow out of proportion. But in the major trials of life, that, that's not going to cut it. This was a life and death situation for the, the disciples. And only a very big and all-sovereign Jesus will work in those type of situations. And, and maybe you're here and you've heard of Jesus' absolute, uncontested sovereignty before. And you believe it. So, so let this be a reminder to you. you know, we're a forgetful people prone to magnify the size of our circumstances and in the grind of life to forget our sovereign Savior. You know, bask in his glory, in the glory of his control as the sleeping sovereign. 
And as we continue on in this story, Jesus doesn't stay asleep. And we see the truth that Jesus seeks to grow the faith of his followers. Remember that this was at the center of Matthew's structure of this passage. Verse 25. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the disciples come pleading to Jesus to save them, addressing him almost as if he were a guardian angel or something like that. Why does Jesus call them of little faith? Well, we can see that their words clearly evidence anxiety. Their actions show that they were not trusting Jesus as the sleeping sovereign. But, but there's also a helpful comparison as we look at the Gospel of Mark, you know, shedding light on what Matthew's saying here. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus asks, why do you not yet have faith? And Matthew, however, wants to be clear that this is not an initial call to faith. He can't conceive of discipleship apart from some faith, a little faith. They're right now in the early stages of that discipleship. They have little faith. And what has Jesus come to do through situations just like this? He's come to grow their faith. Their faith needs to be exercised. And look what Jesus does having first dealt with the disciples. He deals with the storm. He rebukes the winds and the seas, personifying them as if, you know, conscious beings. And I believe, you know, fair to say that he understands any sort of activity of the evil one that is behind them. And look how he turns what was that great earthquake of a storm into a great calm. That's it's beautiful writing, but even more beautiful work of Jesus. See how powerful he is. He holds even the weather in his hands and can do with it as he pleases. How much more does he hold the events of my life, the events of your life in his hands? And if he desires me to be in a different situation, if he desires you to be in a different situation, should I not think that the Jesus who rebukes the storm rebukes the wind, and creates a great calm instantly, is somehow now powerless concerning the circumstances in my life, the circumstances in your life. Matthew, make sure to include the words save and perishing as we translate them in English. Uh, although they first and foremost refer to uh, the physical life, lives of the disciples, Matthew knows what these words will foreshadow in his uh, gospel, what is to come. Jesus has arrived to do more than just physically uh, save those who are physically perishing. He is here for those who are perishing eternally, going head on into the wrath of God. And, And I can trust that if Jesus has this power displayed in this story over the work of the evil one, over the weather, even the weather, 
that his victory over the evil one on the final day is secure. So, so why, why does Matthew include this story in his gospel? You say, well, he has to. Jesus did it, of course. Well, okay, but there's a lot of other stories concerning things Jesus did that he can't include. It doesn't have a long enough scroll. It, John makes that abundantly clear that you'd fill up all the books uh, theoretically in the world if you were to record everything about Jesus. So, so why does he include this one? Well, it's not just the faith of the disciples of Jesus in this boat that need to grow. It's our faith, too. Where do we find ourselves in this story? Who do we identify with? No, it's, it's not with Jesus. It's with the disciples. You may, maybe you're here today and you look like a Christian. Everyone around you thinks you're on the team, but you know that you've actually never been transformed by Jesus. That there was a disciple. His name was Judas Iscariot. And we'll find out later that he was faking his allegiance to Jesus all along. He, he saw all the same things that Jesus did. He saw all these miracles, Jesus' control over all things, but it never changed him. If that's you today, uh, this is a call to repent and believe for the first time. But, but maybe you're here today and you'd put your faith somewhere in between, you know, baby Christian faith and, and the faith to trust, you know, Jesus as the sleeping sovereign in the boat. You're saying, ah, I'm going to wait another two, three minutes. A few more waves hitting that boat, you know, just, just hold off for a couple more minutes before I would wake him. Matthew includes this narrative to help you grow your faith, to help and me grow my faith. Through hearing this, may we trust Jesus more. May we be awed by him. May we marvel at him and that lead us to worship. You say, but, but I wasn't there. And yes, that, that's the point. That's why Matthew includes this narrative. He doesn't need to record it for those who, who were there. They, they remember it very well. He designs this for those of us who weren't, so we can respond uh, with the same faith that we'll see later. It's, it's a slow process for the disciples of Jesus, but we'll see later as we go into, um, say, uh, the other New Testament books. Uh, we'll see that faith present in uh, 11 of the 12. If you aren't a Christian, cry out to God to give you faith to believe this Jesus. And if you are, cry out that God would grow your faith today. And Jesus does grow the, the faith of the disciples, evidenced by their confession concerning him that comes here in the next verse. And what does it reveal? That Jesus is categorically different than other men. Verse 27. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this? that even winds and sea obey him. Up to this point in, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has done plenty of miracles, but miracles of healing, casting out demons. This is a new way 
to his disciples that Jesus manifests his power. His disciples are amazed that he even has command over the wind and the sea, and they obey him. Having read or heard this story or ones like it, you know, concerning the life of Jesus, don't lose the awe of this moment. You're, you're supposed to drop your jaw while reading this, while hearing this passage. You're supposed to marvel. Jesus specifically words the question of the disciples in, t- in terms of a question of a category, not identity like uh, Mark and Luke do. What sort of man is this that even the winds and seas obey him? But, but Matthew, that does not leave us in the dark as to what category Jesus belongs to. Good writing never does. Instead, he hints at this correct category as he expands on the question by adding that even the winds and sea obey him. And that would you know, bring to mind, to the original readers, that, that would bring to mind the Old Testament. You know, who possesses control over the winds and the sea? Job 26. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. Psalm 65. Read it here just a few minutes ago. O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the ro- roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Psalm 77. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. Psalm 89. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 107. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Lastly, Jeremiah 5, verse 20. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. It's God himself. God is the one who controls all this. So what category does Jesus belong to? What sort of man is this that even the the seas, even the winds obey him? The disciples are starting to understand that he's not just an extraordinary teacher, but he's the Messiah, the one who possesses the authority of God himself. He is God in the flesh. Matthew does not draw this out and make the implication explicit, which, by the way, is is very good writing. His audience gets it, though. They know the Old Testament. And the disciples here, they haven't connected all the dots. We're going to see this is a process for them. 
they're growing in this. But, but they're headed in the right direction as they are awed by Jesus' power and authority, which belongs rightfully to God alone. God does exercise control over the entire universe. You want the concrete expression of that rule? Well, look at the life and ministry of Jesus. He is the agent of the Father ruling over all of it. He has authority over all, including the forces of evil and destruction. If you're here and you're like many of those in the the crowd, or or numerous of the first readers, hearers of this gospel, who who weren't followers of Jesus but are interested, well, this is for you. There's no option in light of this gospel and the facts presented here about Jesus to take him as just a good man, charismatic teacher, prophetic voice. He's either a really good liar or he's God in the flesh. There's no middle ground because you know, to pretend to be God and lead a plethora of people astray, believing one is God is at the very least disillusioned, which Jesus doesn't appear to be, leaving the only other option as pure evil. If that's where you're at today, wrestle with this this week. Don't don't sleep. Let let the Holy Spirit work on your heart. And if you'd like to talk about it, we'd love to have some dialogue, to talk over, over coffee with you. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, maybe even one who's been a follower of Jesus for a long time and committed to him above all else, well, this is for you too. You and I need this reminder that Jesus is categorically different than all other people. We have lots of things screaming for our attention, our loyalty. And Jesus as just another man, great teacher, even one of the best men to ever walk on this planet isn't going to cut it. Jesus as the Messiah, the God in the flesh. Now that's a different story in demanding my ultimate allegiance. Pray with me.